you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Amen. Isn't the Lord good? You can be seated this morning. I'm going to get into the word of the Lord here in just a few moments, but before I do, I I just feel like that we need to take a moment and pray for our country, for the state of our country. Division has never brought prosperity and blessing. I've remained somewhat silent because my focus has been in other places over the last few weeks. But this morning I am going to speak up for righteousness and for the sake of unity. Most of the division that we're experiencing in our country is brought on by media. And social media is one of the mediums that is being the most destructive to the unity in our world, in America, and even in the church. I want to warn the church to focus your efforts on the lost. There are people that need Jesus, and Jesus is still the answer. The kingdoms of this world are destined to fall, and the Bible says that heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word, he says, shall never pass away. It's going to remain. And I, so far, I've lived 52 years, and I've been on social media since the early days of the Internet being invented by Al Gore. And I'm just trying to get a smile out of about four people in here this morning. I've yet to know anyone that's been persuaded and changed their position because of a social media post or an argument. And as a church... We need to pray. Number one, we need to pray. Number one, we need to guard our hearts. Because every one of us have feelings and emotions attached to every side, and sometimes multiple sides. But instead of taking sides, we need to guard our word and our words, and we need to focus into the word of God. And let the love of God prevail in our hearts. For this gospel was first to be preached beginning at Jerusalem and then in Judea and then in Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the world. 
For salvation was first to the Jew and then to the Gentile and spreads all over the world. This gospel message is not about race and color. This gospel message is about the salvation of mankind. And this church is going to stand firm and strong on the fact that we love souls. We love souls. Doesn't matter where you, what your last name is, what nationalities you have mixed in your bloodlines. I want the blood of Jesus to come over me. I want to... Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Hallelujah. And the church needs to get out of politics and get back into the soul-saving business. That's what the church is for. And we need to get away from social media venting and get back to prayer. Social activism will never heal our land. That only prayer will be able to do that. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I'm going to challenge some of you. We need to go home and delete about half of the divisive mess that we've been posting on social media. Get on our face before the Lord and repent and say, God, I want to post things that edify you and magnify you. If it's not reaching the lost, if it's not blessing your neighbor, if it's not exalting Jesus, it doesn't deserve my time. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise... Think on these things. So in other words, just because, well, it's true. If there's no virtue and there's no praise, we don't need to focus on it. Think on these things. Verse 9, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Everywhere we go as a church, as a people, we ought to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And everywhere we go, somebody ought to say, that person represents Jesus. That, per- that person is representing righteousness. Give yourself a great big hand. I know you're going to, you're going to do that. We're not going to be part of all of the mess that's going on. We're the church of the living God. We are one church. We are unified. I love every one of you. And I believe we love one another. All right. God bless you. All of our social media listeners, thank you for watching. Put in practice what I just shared with our congregation this morning. Give all of our Facebook listeners a great big hand this morning.
going to get you into the word of the Lord this morning. If you have your Bibles, would like to prepare to turn with me. Well, you can stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. I already preached 10 minutes and you need to relax your legs. I may preach another hour and a half this morning. I don't know. I'm kind of on a roll today. First Timothy chapter 2, verse number 5. First Timothy chapter 2, verse number 5. For there is, somebody help me this morning, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man. Who is that? The man, Christ Jesus. My question to every listener this morning, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Turn to your neighbor and ask him, do you know Jesus? Because he is a knowable God. Give him a great big hand clap this morning. Let's magnify and praise his name this morning. Aren't you glad you know who he is? Ah, we praise you this morning, God. You can be seated. Thank you, Dylan. You gave me good background music, and now you're going to give me a good story this morning. Two or three years ago, I was going to bed, and it was late. We had come in from a church event very late at night. And Dylan and Brother Cameron Hopper and Spencer all came into the house. Dylan had a new handgun, and he was going to show Cameron how quick he could take it apart. And I'm not sure of all the details, because the story just changes every time we talk about it. But all I know is I heard a gun go off in my house. Most frightening sound anyone could ever hear, particularly for those who are outdoorsmen and hunters and knowing, knowing the devastation that could have been caused. And I jumped out of bed and ran downstairs as I heard Spencer's voice as he said, Oh, my word, Dylan has shot himself. And I ran downstairs and... I saw, found Dylan leaning over a sink and he had his hand underwater and I saw blood flowing from his hand. And once that, the dust cleared in my mind, um, I realized that he had only shot himself through the edge of the hand and as bad and terrible as that in of itself might have been, I breathed a sigh of relief and then realized that I'm standing in my living room with guests in the house in my underwear. Talk about shock and awe. <laughs> A lot more shock than awe, I can promise you. We rushed Dylan to the hospital, and there they began to, of course, he was in extreme pain, and in his painful situation, they gave him some narcotics. We're talking about a young man that is not used to taking any kind of pain meds. And he's rather humorous when he is sober, but when he is drug drunk, it put a whole new level to humor. And of course, it being that a firearm was involved, the authorities were there and police were questioning they were in the room with Dylan 
And they're trying to ask him questions, but somewhere in the middle of his dilated pupil state of mind, his number one question that he was wanting to ask all of the officers, all of the nurses, and even the doctors, as he would roll his eyes and try to focus, he would look at them as they're asking him questions, and he'd say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you know Jesus And after a while, it became quite comical. And the police officers that were going to have none of his humor when they first came ended up leaning on the doors and the walls and nearly falling into the floors as the doctors and everyone there said, this may be one of the most comical patients that we have ever had. The question that he had was a good question. Do you know Jesus? 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse number 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The point, the entire point of the word of God is that God is trying to reveal himself to humanity. If you read in the New Testament in the book of John, as you begin to go through the chapters, you begin, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you can go to verse 2 and verse 3, and he is light. And to Nicodemus, he, he begins to try to reveal himself. And in every chapter, he reveals himself as light, as wind, as water. And he goes all through the book of John. And finally, when he gets to the 10th chapter of the book of John, they, the disciples look at him and said, How long will you be with us until you tell us plainly who you are? And he looked at them and he said, I and my Father are one. He said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He said, how long are you going to be with me, Philip, until you understand who I am? I come this morning to tell you that if you don't know Jesus, he is knowable and you ought to know him. And you can know him in the power of the Holy Ghost because he's knowable. The scripture that I read into your hearing this morning is dealing with the divinity of Christ. In no way is this scripture pointing out the fact that you don't need a pastor, but when it says we have one advocate and we have a one mediator between God and man, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is, the scripture says, the propitiation for our sins. Jesus himself became our propitiation. He didn't just, just pay for our sins, but Jesus himself became sin for you and me. No wonder he says to Moses, I am. Tell them I am sent me because whatever you need, he said, that is what I became. I didn't send somebody else. I didn't send the third person in the Trinity to do it for me. I am the way, the truth, and the light. Jesus Christ became sin for you and I. First Timothy chapter 2. But there is 
one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. In passing, one may say, what is meant here by mediator and what does it mean when it says that we have an advocate? These are two of the most misunderstood verses in Scripture. Many Trinitarian scholars and writers have suggested that these words mean something very different than they were originally intended. And if you study the original writing, you begin to understand that the word advocate simply means one standing in the place of us. And the, the word mediator means a negotiator or one that is speaking for us. The word propitiation simply means the turning away of wrath by providing an offering or paying a debt in the place of someone else. Somebody ought to say thank you, Jesus. But this missing point in Scripture is that Jesus did not, that Jesus is the propitiation or he is our offering. In other words, Jesus did not come and give an offering for you and I, but Jesus became the offering for you and I. Therefore, he is the mediator between God and man. Therefore, he is the advocate between God and man. The polluted doctrine that is often taught here is missing the point that Jesus didn't take an offering to the Father on our behalf, but he was and still is the offering on our behalf. Therefore, when one becomes confused and said, how does the Lord, is the Lord constantly being our mediator? How is he there? And they paint a picture of, of a Jesus, of a God junior standing before God the Father and him trying to plead and pray on our behalf, but they're missing the point of the scripture Jesus became our mediator once and for all and therefore he who became sin who knew no sin became sin for you and I and therefore when he died on the cross when he became sin for us and he paid the price for us he is the propitiation meaning when you sin now we still have an advocate with the father the price of the blood is still paying for us today you don't have to have some Somebody standing before a father trying to say, oh, let me plead their cause. He already pled your cause when he went to the cross of Calvary and bled and died for your sins. He didn't just pay for our sin, but he became sin for us. According to Corinthians chapter 6, it wasn't our black sin that was nailed to the cross, but it was his bloody body that which bore our sin that was nailed to the cross. So this takes on a whole new meaning when we look at the phrase, we have an advocate with the Father. Translator Bias has concluded the right meaning of this passage. A glaring example is the New International Version, the NIV, as we refer to it, who this, that, that teaches and says we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Similar interpretive renderings are given in the Good News Bible. We have someone who pleads to the Father on our behalf. But in all 
all reality, neither of those translations match up with the original context and the original and the original scripture. There is no biblical justification for either of those translations. Stay with me today because I'm going to take you somewhere. Clearly, what the NIV and other translators had in mind was a court scene with us as being the the accused. Such wrong translations suppose God as an angry accuser and Christ as a defender appealing on the behalf of a father that is wanting to, to, to bring vengeance upon his children. But the facts are that such as an idea runs absolutely contrary and counter to the biblical descriptions of the Comforter, the Holy Ghost being with us and in us. The Holy Spirit which is in us is always working on our behalf. The Holy Ghost, ladies and gentlemen, is our advocate. He is our comforter, not as one speaking for us, pleading to the Father for us, for that would violate the oneness of God, but it is speaking of the one who steps in for us. In other words, one who gets in the way and takes the punishment for us, one who pays the price for a debt that he did not owe. I could call a few names this morning of individuals through my years of Bible college and growing up that somebody would always want to go along with the group and, and they always wanted to be there where the action was and they would even order their food and then reach around and say, oh my, I, I left my wallet and they would call me by name because they always knew that I carried a little extra cash and they would say, um, hey, can I borrow a couple of bucks to, to get my Taco Bell and, and of course I would pull out the wallet and I would pay for them but I did it out of obligation hear me this morning your heavenly father did not do did not pay the price for you out of obligation because he knew you before the beginning of time and he knew you would never be able to pay the debt that you were going to owe he knew your sin was going to stain you so so badly that you would never be able to recover yourself and so to prove that he created created a law that man would never be able to live up to yet he came walking on the scene and lived 33 and a half years of a sinless life he proved that it was possible but it would never be possible in of the flesh alone we would have to have the power of the almighty God dwelling in us he who knew no sin became sin for us he bled he died and he sent the comforter which was the Holy Ghost to to come that you may live with the power of the Holy Ghost working in your life. Therefore we are no longer debtors. <laughs> Therefore we are no longer debtors to live under the law of sin. But the, but the law of sin and death has been conquered through the cross of Calvary and you and I are able to live victorious not of our own ability but by the blood of Jesus. It was his his blood that washed us and cleansed us and made us whole. You'll never get good enough to be saved on your own. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can cleanse your heart? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make you whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So the Holy Ghost, Christ in us, the Comforter, is not one speaking for us or pleading for us, 
but it is speaking of the one who stepped in for us. So therefore, Jesus didn't say, yeah, I'll just pop open one of those oil wells and I'll just let a little oil flow so there's enough finances to pay their debt. But he stepped into a cross and he said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down. He is the one who got in the way of our punishment. It should have been you and I that were on the cross. It was you and I that were given the death sentence and it would have been final for eternity. But he said, I will step in so that you not only are going to be able to have a life, but when I step in, you are going to be able to have a more abundant life and you're going to be able to have everlasting life. You could have never done it without the blood of Jesus, without him stepping in on the scene one who took on the guilt and carried our sin for us when we sin the scripture says we have an advocate with the father that word advocate simply means it is speaking of a military term it is used as one the word there is paraclete and that term uh, that that we know so well is a military term speaking of one who serves in a military form and is willing to fight and die for you it is one who comes out of nowhere and appears on the scene in other words you and your team, you and your crew, you and your battalion are under fire. You are you are lost. You are going to be eternally lost. You are going to be destroyed by the enemy that is coming against you with weapons that you would never be able to, to defeat. But out of nowhere, Jesus steps in on the scene and he comes like a paratrooper, a paraclete, and he drops in on the scene behind the lines and he paid a debt that he did not owe and he threw himself in harm's way and was willing to die so that you and I could live. I'm talking about a God that you can know. He stepped on the scene and he paid a debt for you not because although you did not know him he knew you before you were ever conceived. Before the world was framed he already knew you. He already had you in mind. He already had you figured out and he came out of nowhere and he said I'll pay the price for them and for her and for him. I will pay the price. And he came on the scene and he paid the debt for you and I. Some may feel like once they're saved, they don't ever need another Savior. But I want you to understand what John says. In 1 John chapter 1 verse number 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Hello? And the truth is not in us. But if we confess, admit, and become honest about our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 26, for if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice. This is why we need a Savior. Therefore, the whole idea that once I'm saved, I'm always saved is absolutely abolished in Scripture. That is a man's wishful thinking to try to find a way that I can 
one time get saved and never have to worry about it again. I come here to tell you this morning, you will never find that in the Scripture. Because the thread of Scripture tells me that when I willfully sin, there remaineth therefore now no sacrifice. But if we sin, we have an advocate. There's that word again. With the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sin. We go back and do our first works over. What is the first works? It's the works of repentance. We go back, fall on our face. God, I made a mistake. I failed you. I walked away from you. I did wrong. And he is faithful and just to forgive us. When you go back and do the first works over again, the blood of Calvary comes rushing on the scene. Therefore, the mediator that is forever mediating in heaven is not in heaven praying to the Father, but his blood is saying I'll do a redemptive work right now. All you got to do is repent. All you got to do is get up. Don't stay down when you sin. Get up. When you fail God, get up. His blood is ever mediating. His, his blood is ever working on your behalf. The storm may be raging, but God is not afraid of your storm. He will step in to the middle of the storm. You're in the middle of it this morning, but God's going to step in right in the middle of it like a paratrooper coming out of nowhere, and he's going to fight for you. He's going to make a way for you. That's why by his stripes we are healed. You're in the middle of it, but he's already conquered it. We're sinking in sin, but he comes along, takes us by the hand, and lifts us up. That's why we sing, he brought me out of the miry clay. Because what we are sinking in, he's already conquered. He's already over the top of it. He threw himself in so that he could bring us out. And I tell you this morning, he wants to save you from your sin. He wants to save you from your mess. I want to talk to somebody today that feels like you're drowning. You need to grab a hold of a lifeline that I'm casting to you this morning and tell you that you can know him. And if you know him, you know him in the power of the Holy Ghost, if you know him in that manner, no matter how dark the night, he's always the light. No matter how bad the storm, he is still the peace speaker. No matter how sick you feel, he is still the healer. No matter how bad the relationship problem is, he's still able. I come today to tell you that if you know him, you know that he is whatever you need. All you got to do is begin to call on his name. For his name is strength and power. Grab a hold of the lifeline and let him pull you out. If you're sinking deep in sin, this morning what you need to do is begin to call on the name name that is above every name. You need to call on the name of Jesus. Sin may have left a crimson stain, but Jesus Christ and his blood washes white as snow. He's not a fictitious God. He is a knowable God. 
the main theme of Scripture is God revealing himself to man. So he reveals himself in every book of the Bible. All you got to do is get in the word of God. Because the answer for every seemingly unsolvable situation, you can find him in this book. There is not one book in this Bible that Jesus does not become clear. I never forget in Bible college when we began to study the typology of Scripture and began to draw the parallels of Scripture. Back about 2006, I pulled out some notes and began to study. Then with a greater knowledge of Scripture, began to compile and borrow. And I always thought there'd be a day that I would preach it and somehow, somewhere, I forgot about these notes. But we've been doing a little house cleaning around the Jordan house. And in the middle of all of it, I ran across some notes that I had made from 2006. And it was in my never preached file. I don't hold anything more than about two weeks. And I pulled it out. And I started reading some things that I had compiled some original ideas and some borrowed ideas and I started down the line. Who is Jesus to me? How do I know him for myself? To the banker, he is the hidden treasure. To the jeweler, he is the pearl of great price. To the baker, he is the living bread. To the lawyer, he is the advocate with the Father. To the shepherd, he is the Lamb of God. And to the doctor, he is the great physician. To the lonely, he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. To the florist, he is the lily of the valley and the rose of Sharon. To the builder, he is the sure foundation. And to the architect, he is the chief cornerstone. To the thirsty, he is the fountain. And to the lost, he is the way, the truth, and the life. To the philosopher, he is the word of God. To the carpenter, he is the door. To the gardener, he is the true vine. To the astronomer, he is the day star. And to the judge, he is the faithful witness. To the sinner, he is the savior of the world. You can find him everywhere that you look for him. In the book of Genesis, he is the seed of a woman. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is the great high priest. In Numbers, he is the star of Jacob. In Deuteronomy, he is the great rock. In Joshua, he is the captain of the Lord of hosts. In Judges, he is the sword of Gideon. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. 
redeemer. In Samuel, he is the seed of David. In Kings, he is the Lord God of Israel. I told somebody you can know him. In Chronicles, he is the God of our fathers. In Ezra, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of the broken wall. In Esther, he is the God of providence. In Job, he is the ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he is the good shepherd and the king of glory. In Proverbs, he is the wisdom of God. In Song of Solomon, he is altogether lovely. In Isaiah, he is wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And in Jeremiah, he is the Lord, our righteousness. In Lamentations, he is the weeping, weeping prophet and the compassionate God. In Ezekiel, he is the wheel in the middle of the wheel. In Daniel, he is the fourth man in the fire. In Hosea, he is the king of the resurrection. In Joel, he is the baptizer of the Holy Ghost. In Amos, he is the plumb line. In Obadiah, he is is the destroyer of the proud. In Jonah, he is the God of the second chance. In Micah, he is the God of Jacob. In Nahum, he is the avenging God. In Habakkuk, he is the everlasting glorious God. In Zephaniah, he is the king of Israel. In Haggai, he is the desire of all nations. In Zechariah, he was pierced in the house of his friends. In Malachi, he is the Lord of remembrance. <laughs> and we just got out of the Old Testament because he's there in every one of them. And then he shows up in Matthew as the king of the Jews, in Mark as the suffering servant, and Luke as the son of man, in John as the eternal God, in Acts as the Holy Ghost and fire, in Romans the Lord our righteousness, in Corinthians the resurrector, in Galatians the redeemer from the law, in Ephesians the head of the church, in Philippians the supplier of every need in Colossians the fullness of the Godhead in Colossians the fullness of the Godhead in Thessalonians the coming Christ in Timothy the mediator between God and man in Titus the great God and our Savior in Hebrews he is the heir of all things better than the prophets and the angels captain of our salvation merciful and faithful God he is the high priest. He is the great intercessor. He is the mediator of the new covenant in James. He is the great physician in Peter. He is the unblemished lamb. In John, he is the advocate and the propitiation in Jude, he is the Lord that cometh with 10,000 saints. And in Revelation, he is Alpha and Omega, the Lion of Judah, the slain Lamb, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the bright and the morning star. And you and I can know him for ourselves. Oh, somebody ought to praise him. If you know him, you ought to praise him.
his word. He's in every word because the Bible said he is the living word. It's not hard to know him. Stay standing with me. It's not hard to know him. You don't have to be able to quote half the scripture. All you got to do is just look in the Bible and you're going to find him. If you don't know him today in the power of the Holy Ghost, he is a faithful and just God to forgive sin. All you got to do is open your heart to him. Just simply say, God, I'm a sinner. Here I am. I want to change my life, change my ways. I want to be like you. Forgive me for my faults, my failures, my sin. He's faithful and just to forgive. We'll take you to water and baptize you. We have robes and water ready. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, that's the only saving name in which you can be saved. Over the last three months, we baptized probably 12, 14, 16 people. In that name that is above every name. We'll take you to water and call on the name of Jesus. We'll baptize you. And the blood of Calvary will wash away those sins. You don't ever have to go back to that baptismal tank again. Because once that blood is over your life, by calling on the name of Jesus, then you have an advocate with the Father. You go back and repent when you fail and sin. He's faithful and just to forgive. And then there is a promise, which is the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God living in you. And that's God's job, to fill you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And it's His promise to you, and He always keeps His promise. And He'll fill you with the baptism of His Spirit. And that's Christ in us. That's God living within us. You can do more than just know about him, but you can have him living in you. And if you don't know him in that way this morning, I'm going to open the front of this room right now. And if you can find the courage to step from where you are and walk to the front of this room. If you're listening online and you want to know him, get here. Get here as quick as you can. We'll pray with you. We'll meet you here and pray with you if you can't be here at this moment. We'll get you in a Bible study. We'll baptize you in Jesus' name. Because he's faithful and he's knowable. My great-grandfather knew him. My mom and dad knew him. My brothers and sisters know him and a lot of friends know him. But I had to know him for myself. And he is easily knowable. For if you seek him, the scripture said you can find him. He's available to you, and he's reaching for you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed all over the building, making it as easy as possible. Don't, don't delay, don't wait. Step out from where you are. Fill up the front of this room right now. Come on, gather in the front of this room right now. If you don't know him, you need to know him. If you already know him, you need to become freshly acquainted with him this morning. Let him show up in every area of your life. Let him work on your behalf. Hey, yeah. Come in the name of Jesus.
That's all you got to do is just speak his name. He is our healer. Come on, that's it. That's it. Let's respond to the word of the Lord. Speak his name. He is our provider. Come on, Jesus. Come on, somebody, shout out the name of Jesus. Speak his name this morning. Call the name of Jesus. Oh, I'm gonna call his name. He is our
Come on, why don't you lift your hands all over the room right now and all together. Why don't you just speak the name of Jesus over that mountain, over that problem, over that situation, whatever it is right now. Whatever your greatest storm, your greatest battle, whatever you're fighting right now, why don't you speak the name of Jesus over it? You don't have to pray eloquent words. Just speak the name of Jesus over it, over that problem, that sickness, that concern, that situation right now. We speak the name of Jesus for there is healing power and delivering power. Lord, we're grateful today that we know you and we know God. You're working everything for us.